God, we thank you for the beauty of this text. Lord, we thank you for the way that you care so deeply and so intentionally about the church. Lord, thank you for uh, your word. Lord, thank you that it is powerful. God, we believe that. Lord, we rely upon your word to shine a light into our hearts. And so, Lord, we do pray for that type of, of expectation even this morning that you would make the word come alive in our minds and in our hearts. And Lord, we pray that you would speak a specific word to us today. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when you think about the word shepherding in the context of, of a local church, what, what comes to your mind? remember uh, reading an, an, an interview with a very well-known pastor uh, a few years ago, and they were talking about uh, this word shepherding as it relates to pastors and elders. And the interviewer uh, asked this pastor this question, said, should we stop talking about pastors as shepherds? And this pastor's response was, absolutely, that word needs to go away, that it was culturally relevant in the time of Jesus, but it's not culturally relevant anymore, that nothing works in our culture with that model. And obviously, that is the face of church ministry, but that's not leadership. Now, how does that sit with you this morning of, of taking that concept of shepherding out of the job description of a pastor or elder? I'm sure some of you, that's really concerning for you when you hear that, that pastors are shepherds. And so taking that out, that's a, that's a big concern. Or maybe others of you think to yourself, well, yeah, maybe we do need more of a, of a CEO business model of leadership in the church. Maybe that would help things. Or maybe others of you are, are wondering, what is an elder? And what, what is this whole shepherding thing in the life of a church? And so maybe you don't really know what to think uh, about that interview. But I want us to consider this morning what the implications would be if we did take out this concept of shepherding from the job description of a pastor. So I think one of the things that tends to be more caught than taught in the life of the church is church leadership. That one of the things that's just kind of assumed is, is who makes decisions and how are decisions made and, and how are the people actually cared for. The, those types of things are, are more caught than taught explicitly. And yet, this whole topic of, of church leadership and eldership and what it means to shepherd is extremely vital in the life of a church. In fact, even for us as a congregation that's barely two years old, we need to understand what is the role of an elder and what does it look like to shepherd the flock of God. So one thing that I want us to see this morning from 1 Peter chapter 5 is how incredibly dangerous it would be if we remove shepherding from the job description of an elder. That that would cause so many issues within the flock of God. I hope that we'll see that clearly through this passage this morning. In fact, this morning I want to lay out a couple of different things as it relates to what it means to be an elder and what it means to be a shepherd. So we'll first look at the case for shepherding. In other words, like why does Peter introduce this topic of shepherding now in this letter? We'll uh, spend a couple of minutes on that. And then we'll look at the work of a shepherd. What, what is the job description of an elder? What, what are they to do biblically? And then number three, we'll look at the heart of a shepherd. What's, what's motivating uh, a shepherd? And then lastly, we'll look at uh, the inspiration uh, of a shepherd throughout our passage this morning. So the case, the work, the heart, and the inspiration of a shepherd. Let's look, number one, at the case for shepherding. Read with me verse one and the beginning of verse two. 
Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God. Now, in this first verse, Peter tells us three things about himself that are, that are helpful to know. Then number one, he tells us that he's a fellow elder, and so we have one elder writing to other elders. We also learn from this verse that Peter was a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And so the author of 1 Peter and 2 Peter is indeed the same Peter that's talked about throughout the Gospels that was a witness to the life and the death of Jesus. And then number three, Peter tells us that he's a partaker in the the future glory. He's referring to either when Jesus returns for the second time or upon Peter's death. Now, Peter, as a co-elder, gives the other elders an exhortation. And we see that in the beginning of verse 2. He says, shepherd the flock of God. Now, this word, elders, this, this is in the Greek, this is actually where we get the word Presbyterian. This word elders was often used throughout the New Testament to refer to those who had uh, leadership positions in the church. They were the overseers. They were the shepherds of the flock of God. In fact, throughout the New Testament, the word elder and overseer are almost uh, used interchangeably throughout the New Testament. But this word elders, it has its roots in, uh, in the Old Testament. Now, notice, though, the, the plural form is used of elders, that Peter is kind of reinforcing this model of leadership that we see throughout the New Testament of a plurality of elders, a plurality of leadership, that we see this model in Acts 11, 14, and 15. We see this in, in 1 Timothy 5, 17. We see it in Titus 1, 5. We see it in James 5, 14, even, that there's no, clearly, there's no dictatorship in the model of church leadership within the church. There's no one person running the show, but there's this this team leadership approach within church leadership. We even see evidence of of elders being put into place even in the early church. Now here at College Park Church, we follow that same model, that we have a, a plurality of elders, a plurality of leadership that helps lead the church. We don't have one bishop or, or a pope or one person running the show. At a College Park Church, we say that we are elder-led and yet congregationally governed or congregationally accountable. And what we mean by that is we believe that the ultimate authority of the church resides in the members gathering together as a congregation. Okay? Now, that is why we vote on, on important topics during members' meetings, and we vote on new members, we vote on church discipline, we vote on new elders and, and the budget and new land acquisition and just key ministry initiatives and decision-making because we believe that the ultimate authority resides in the church. We get that from Matthew 16 and 18. And yet, we don't vote on every single topic or issue. You know that to be true. We don't vote on, on how many donuts we purchase for the year. We don't vote on how, how much paper the Fisher staff team is allowed to kind of print off and use throughout the year. And we don't even, we don't even vote on Tim Lucas Savage's hair and if it swoops to the left or to the right. Like we don't, we don't vote on every single one of those topics. And the reason for that is because we have elders, very capable elders, who lead us in that way alongside the body of Christ, the body of College Park Fishers, in order to present weighty topics and issues. 
In fact, we have about 30 elders at College Park Church that oversee the three campuses of College Park Church. And three of those elders <clears throat> come from this congregation, so myself, Brad Sweet, and Mark Novotny, with two more, Lord willing, being installed uh, next week. And so clearly, we do see this plurality of elders that even at College Park Church, we follow that model. But you have to ask yourself the question, like when you're reading this text, and, and if you've been with us throughout the journey of 1 Peter, like why this topic now? Like, he's been talking about suffering and, and how to suffer well all throughout this letter. And then it almost feels like Peter is pivoting here, and he's just dropping this random topic of shepherding and eldership almost out of nowhere. Like, what's the case for shepherding of here and now, of all the things that Peter could have said he talks about shepherding? Well, a couple of reasons, I think, why he does this. Number one, I think one reason is the reality that suffering and persecution puts a strain on the entire community of the church. And because that's true, that kind of demands clear leadership and compassionate care for the flock of God. I think what Peter's doing here is he's connecting the reality of suffering and persecution with the necessity of shepherding the flock of God. He's putting those two hand in hand. You can, you can see that with the first word in our passage. He says, so, or in some translations, it's, uh, it's the word therefore. Peter is connecting chapter 4, verses 12 through 19, which, which you really see this suffering theme in its climax form <clears throat> with this idea of shepherding in chapter 5. I think the reason for that is when you're receiving pushback or even heat from outside the church, persecution, you, you really need to make sure that inside the church, this is a place of refuge, that this is a sanctuary, that this is a, a safe place. And I think the elders are largely responsible for creating that type of environment. And you know this to be true, like suffering just, it has a way of either driving us towards isolation, or it has an opportunity for us to be driven into community and into one another. And I think the elders are largely responsible to ensure that when suffering takes place or persecution takes place, that we're, we're driving one another into the community and into the body of, of the church. <clears throat> but secondly, I think another reason why uh, Peter introduces this topic is I, I, don't, I don't necessarily think that he's introducing a brand new topic here. I think he's continuing another dominant theme throughout 1 Peter, and that is of submission, that we've seen this, this other theme, another really popular theme throughout this letter of submission throughout this book. Chapter 3, verse 1, he talks about submission within marriage. Chapter 2, verse 13, submitting to every human institution. Chapter 2, verse 18, servants be subject or submit to your master or employees to employers. And even just the main idea of submitting to God in the midst of suffering, we've seen throughout this letter. And so I think he's taking that theme of submission and he's applying it to the, the congregation and the leadership or the elders of that church. And so he's basically saying, furthermore, submit, continuing this theme with the elders there. And even the elders and the congregation are called to submit to God, who is the, the chief shepherd over the congregation. In fact, I think the, the consistent posture of a growing Christian is one of obedience and submission, especially in the life of a church. 
But number three, another reason why I believe Peter is talking about shepherding here is I think he's just continuing this theme of suffering. Again, I don't, I don't think he's pivoting here and introducing a random topic, but I think he's talking about suffering from the perspective of an elder or a shepherd. Because the truth of the matter, even though there's incredible joy in shepherding, shepherding is really hard at times. Like it's painful and it's costly and it's, and it's difficult and it's messy. And so I think Peter is helping the elders here understand what it means to, to suffer well, even in a leadership role. <clears throat> and even when you look at, at church history, you see that, that whenever there's persecution with the church, it begins with the leaders of the church. So I think Peter, again, is continuing this theme of the pathway to future glory is through suffering. So there's just a couple of reasons why I think he's, he's uh, introducing this, new, this topic of, of shepherding here. Now, what are shepherds to do? What, what is a job description or the way of a shepherd? I want to look at, at verse 2 and 3 just for a moment. And Peter says, to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Now, I want to spend a couple of minutes on that first part of, of verse 2, where he says, shepherd or tend to the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Now, before I, I take a deep dive into what it means to shepherd practically, I just want to stop for a moment and just rejoice at the fact that, that the flock that he's talking about is God's. Okay, like for me reading that, that was super encouraging and just another really healthy reminder that for me, my role, I am an under-shepherd to the chief shepherd. That Peter says that this flock is the flock of God. That this whole, this congregation, even College Park Fishers, this is God's church. This is God's flock, his congregation. It's not mine or the other elders. And so my role as an under-shepherd is to follow the leadership and the guidance of our good and chief shepherd God himself. This is one of the reasons why one of our six core values is the preeminence of Jesus. That we believe, according to Colossians 1.18, that Jesus is the head of the church body. That Jesus is the senior pastor of this church. That he's the leader, that he's the center of, of everything that we do that all things exist for him and by him, that he created all things, even the church. So this is just a really healthy reminder for me as I was studying it this week, and, and I hope it's a good reminder for you that even College Park, this is God's church, and we submit to God's leadership and where he is taking us. And so what, what does it mean to shepherd practically? Like you hear that, it's like, okay, what, what does that look like uh, on, on a week-to-week basis? Well, when you trace the Old and New Testament and and you follow some of the commands and descriptions of of shepherding or the role of of an elder, there are dozens upon dozens of of different commands and descriptions. I mean, it's like all over the place. And so what I want to help us with this morning is just provide four major buckets as you think about shepherding that most of these descriptions or commands fall into one of these four major buckets. Okay, so when you think about shepherding, Practically, here at College Park Church, we mean, number one, that the elders are to know the sheep. Number two, the elders are to feed the sheep. Number three, the elders are to lead the sheep. 
And then number four, the elders are to protect the sheep. Okay, so know, feed, lead, and protect. Let me just spend a couple of moments unpacking each of those four as it relates to what it means to shepherd the flock. Number one, we are to know the sheep. That for the elder, as an under-shepherd of the flock, this relational dynamic is absolutely crucial in order to care for the flock of God effectively. That when you talk about shepherding, it really begins with knowing the sheep. That interaction with the sheep is fundamental to what it means to be a shepherd. I love how Proverbs 27, 23 talks about shepherding here. It says, Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds. That knowing the condition of the flock implies knowing the sheep well. That a good shepherd will always smell like the sheep. That a good shepherd will not be creating this unnecessary relational distance between the sheep. There, there's this appropriate availability to care for the sheep well. And I think another application of this, of knowing the sheep, is knowing who is in your flock and who you are responsible for and who is falling under that kind of accountability. And what I mean by that is knowing who are the members of the flock or, or of the congregation. That even at College Park Church, we, we don't believe that the elders of College Park Church are responsible for every Christian or every believer, but we are responsible for those Christians who have gone through the formal process of membership and have said in a formal way, we are submitting to the leadership and to the care of this congregation and the elders who lead it. And so for us, church membership, it's not just knowing how many people are on the membership role, but more importantly, it's understanding who is on the membership role so that we can know them and so that we can care for them. And so when we think about sheep and flock, it's those individuals who have said, this is my congregation and I'm falling under the leadership of this congregation. I mean, when you take uh, 1 Corinthians 5, for example, and Paul is, is telling uh, the, the, the people at the Corinthian church to expel the immoral believer from among you. Well, you take that command. It's church discipline right there, the, the fourth step. That person had to be part of the congregation to even begin with. You can't remove somebody who's not clearly part of the, of the congregation uh, to begin with. And so this sermon isn't going to be a, a sermon on church membership, although I'd love to do that sometime. But the, the point is that church membership is a way for us to know who is part of this flock that we're responsible for. But I want you to know that it implies far more than just knowing names. Okay, one of the things that I want you to, to walk away from out of this morning is for you to know that uh, the elders of College Park Church desperately want to know you, that we want to care for you, that we want to know the joys and the heartaches of your life. We want to know your, the highs and the lows and, and where you are spiritually in order to come alongside you and to care for you and to lead you well. That we want to know and, and, and help you engage in, in corporate worship. And we want to be able to, to help you in your spiritual pursuit of igniting a passion to follow Jesus. In other words, we want it to be very difficult for you to hide at this church. And I know that sounds strange, but we want it to be really almost impossible for you to come in here and to come out without being talked to or without being known. And the reason for that is because this is not a Home Depot. This is not a place 
where you come and you get what you want or get what you need, and then you walk out of here without talking or interacting with people as quickly as possible. Like, that's, that's not College Park Fishers. We want this to be almost a place that's, that's, that feels similarly to a, a Taco Tuesday night at your family's house where you're inviting family, you're inviting friends, you're kicking off the shoes, and you're just, you feel comfortable, and you feel known, and you feel pursued, and you feel cared for, and there's this safety in, in the gathering of those people. Like, that, that's what we're after here at College Park Fishers. You're not just a number. You're not just someone that takes up a seat on Sunday morning, but you're someone to be cared for, and it begins with the elders being intentional, being available, and being strategic in knowing the sheep of this flock. So it starts with knowing. But number two, it also involves feeding the sheep. That elders, as we talk about shepherding, it's not just to know them, but to make sure that we're nourishing the members of the congregation spiritually. One of my favorite passages in the New Testament is is John chapter 21. In John chapter 21, we have this amazing scene of of Jesus talking with the apostle Peter, the same Peter that wrote our letter that we're looking at here today. And if you remember that chapter, this is after Peter denied Jesus three times. This is after uh, Jesus died and rose again. And they're having this, this amazing conversation on the shore, and they're having breakfast together. And Jesus is, in a sense, trying to reinstate Peter And so he's asking Peter, he asked Peter three times, do you love me? Look what he says here. He says, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And so Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, obviously, Jesus is referring to the sheep, to his people, to the church. And this feeding involves this being spiritually nourished. And when you think about the implications of this conversation that that Peter had with Jesus, I really believe this conversation shaped for Peter what it means to pastor and what it means to be an elder. And we know that Peter went on to be really a pillar of the early church. He was an amazing leader. He ended up being a, a martyr for Jesus and for the gospel of Jesus. So I think this conversation really shaped him as far as what it means to lead and what it means to shepherd the flock, that, that elders are to nourish the sheep. They are to feed the sheep. And I think one of the primary ways that we feed the sheep is through the ministry of the Word. John Calvin, who was one of the, the great reformers in the 1500s, said, said it this way. He said that the, the flock of Christ cannot be fed except with pure doctrine, which alone is our spiritual food. So we believe here at College Park Church that that the the congregation is primarily fed through the ministry of the Word of God. And so we we love doing social events at this church. We love doing the pitch-ins. We love love doing all kinds of those things. But that is in order to create an environment of being known and to encourage relationships to, to exist in the church That's not to replace uh, being nourished and being fed, okay? Being fed for us is is the preaching of God's word corporately, or if you're, and if you're in a small group, talking about the word with other believers and and having the word explained and having the word be applied. And even on Sunday morning, as we sing the word to one another and to God, that's a way that our souls are being nourished with the word of God. Or even if you you think about um, ordinances, 
The, you know, uh, the Lord's uh, table and, and communion and baptism is a way for us to nourish our souls, that it's a mechanism for us to feast on the person of Christ. And so we want to be intentional with, with the preaching of God's word and the use of God's word because we believe it is authoritative. Now, that's uh, a reason why uh, one of our core values is the authority of the word. So I've given you two so far, the preeminence of Jesus and the authority of the word. That we believe that the word of God is authoritative, that this is what transforms us, that this, is, this book contains everything that we need for life and godliness, that this book is powerful, it's alive, that, that it's, it's also relevant for us in what we go through. And that's another reason why we are committed to the expositional preaching of God's word as the normal diet for preaching. The expositional preaching of God's word, the verse-by-verse or book-by-book approach to communicating and teaching God's word is something that we're very committed to. And just to be honest with you, one of the reasons why we hold that is because we believe God knows what his people need more than I do. Like when we do expositional verse-by-verse and almost phrase-by-phrase, I can't skip anything in here. And I'll be honest with you, I would love to skip some things in here because it's really hard. It's difficult to kind of explain or unearth or it's not as, as appealing to communicate. But God, being the chief shepherd, knows way more than I do about what the congregation needs. And so we go through this thing verse by verse, and, and the word of God is alive and it's active and it meets you exactly where you are. So I can come up with like different topics or different uh, topical sermon series for two, three, four weeks, and those can be helpful uh, based on having a pulse on the congregation, and there might be a, a specific need. But the expositional preaching of God's word is what we're committed to because it is God who is the chief shepherd who knows what we need. And this is also why we emphasize small groups. As I said earlier, that you get a group of people gathered in a home, and, and they're talking about the word of God and how to apply the word of God. That is a, another primary way that you can grow and be nourished with the word. So uh, what it means to shepherd, not only knowing the sheep, not only feeding the sheep, but number three is leading the sheep. This is another major bucket that we see as far as what it means to shepherd the flock of God. We even see our good shepherd, God himself, in Psalm 23, demonstrating this aspect of shepherding. Psalm 23 says, He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And so as an under-shepherd, or I'm follow, us in the, we're following the, the example that our good shepherd has set by being able to lead the congregation and to lead the, the sheep of this flock. Now, no doubt, there is a, a need for direction that the elders provide that brings clarity towards the right path. But this leadership from the elders must be driven with a love and a compassion for the sheep. That as elders, we set the vision, we set the direction, and, and some of the priorities of our church and what's best for the congregation. That if you think about elders leading, you can almost think about with two different ingredients. That we try to discern the needs of our congregation and what the pulse is in combination with, with where we feel like the Lord is leading our church. And so we put those two together and we cast vision and what the path looks like for us to accomplish our mission. It's part of the reason why we've been doing this church survey over the last couple of weeks. 
that we want to hear from you. We want to know what, what, what is the pulse of our congregation? What are you seeing? What are you hearing as far as the needs are in our congregation and in our community? And so on the macro level, there is this leadership that the elders are responsible for, but even on the micro level, that we are to lead by example, that our love for Christ, our love for the Word, that our personal holiness, our, our participation in discipleship and evangelism should be setting the pace for, for our congregation of what it means to ignite a passion to follow Jesus. So that's the third bucket. Now, number four is protecting the sheep, protecting the sheep. There's a, another one of my uh, favorite, pa- favorite passages in the New Testament. Uh, it comes from Acts chapter 20. In Acts 20, we get this, uh, this scene of the, the Apostle Paul who is giving his farewell speech to the elders at Ephesus. It's an incredibly moving and an and emotional kind of farewell speech that, that Paul gives to them as he, as he sees them really for the last time. In chapter 20, verses 28 and 29, uh, it says this, <clears throat> Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Now catch this, he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And so Paul says, yes, like pay special careful attention to yourselves, but also to the flock of God. Now why? It's because he says that fierce wolves will come in and attack the flock. Now no doubt there are cultural wolves at play that we face on a regular basis, that there's false doctrine, there's, there's false teaching out there. there. There are wolves dressed up as sheep even in the congregation of the church that want to distract us from our mission. So we believe that part of the purpose of the elder is to point out these wolves, whether within our flock or the cultural wolves, and to equip the sheep to being able to identify and recognize false teaching and false doctrine. So I want you to be aware, there are wolves at play that want to damage the life of, our, uh, of the church, and the elders are largely responsible to ensuring that there is protection from them. But this idea of protecting the flock can also be applied to protecting the sheep from themselves. I want you to know, I'm, I'm speaking as a fellow sheep person. I don't even know what the correct word, a fellow sheep person. Um, does it make sense? But my fundamental identity is not a shepherd. My fundamental identity is a sheep alongside you with our good shepherd. So I know this personally to be true in my own life, that we are tempted as sheep to wander away from the flock of God. And so we need protection even from ourselves and from aimless living, that we can wander into danger at any moment. Remember um, reading a few years ago from the Associated Press who reported like this remarkable example of this from Turkey. Now this is going to be kind of a, a weird visual here, but um, but go with me here. That this article talked about how one sheep wandered off a cliff, and then another, and then another, and then another. A total of fifteen hundred sheep just followed each other off this cliff which is unbelievable to think about. Now, the report continues that only 450 of them actually died because they just piled up and there was kind of like this soft cushion, which would be great, a crazy visual. Like, my daughter would love that, even though it would be kind of gruesome. Um, 
But yeah, so the point is that sheep have a way of just kind of wandering off and having this aimless living that we need to be aware of. And so when you think about protecting the sheep, don't automatically think about cultural wolves, although that is a, that, that is a true reality, but even protecting you from yourself because we all have this tendency to wander away and drift away from the word of God or the, the flock of God. And so I think part of the role of elders is to kind of point that out and to lovingly come alongside one another in order to point that person to the flock of God. And so elders are called to shepherd the flock of God. And those four main buckets, know the sheep, feed the sheep, lead the sheep, and protect the sheep. Now, as we've communicated this year, one of our four main priorities of 2017 is shepherding. That at our last members meeting in February, just a few months ago, we shared our shepherding strategy for this congregation, and it relies heavily on this knowing, feeding, leading, and protecting. Now, the way that, that we are going to be carrying out this shepherding strategy uh, is by dividing up our members and assigning them with elders. And so since we have about 90% of our members in small group, we want to be able to leverage our small groups in our shepherding strategy. And the way that we want to do that is by assigning an elder to provide oversight over uh, numerous small groups in order to care for those people. Now, one of the things that we've identified is how incredibly gifted our small group leaders are. And I just want to publicly, if you're a small group leader, we want to thank you just publicly because you're doing an incredible job of shepherding that the Lord has entrusted with you families or individuals in your care. I just want to encourage you to keep on, but also we want to make sure that you are being poured into because you're constantly outpouring. We want to make sure that there's an elder that's, that's caring for you and providing oversight or help in some way for you as a small group leader. And so over the next couple of weeks, we'll be uh, communicating th those assignments and which small groups have been, have been assigned to uh, which elder. But if you're a member and not part of a small group, uh, we're assigning you directly to an elder to ensure that you're cared for as well. And so each elder will basically have a, an elder care group of, of, of dozens of people to make sure that we're shepherding and implementing this well. Now, if you're here and you're not a member, I want you to know that we're still going to care for you. We're still going to love you and come alongside you. But we, I just want to encourage you to, to consider taking that step of, of membership and, and even joining a small group and, and coming under formally the, the, the leadership and the authority and the care of this church so that we can effectively care and shepherd you. So over the next couple of weeks, we'll be able to, to communicate that and what that looks like here at College Park Fishers. So that's what it means to, to shepherd the flock of God. That's kind of the job description of an elder. Now let's move on to number three, the heart of a shepherd. Okay, what's driving these elders that Peter wants them to be aware of? Let's read uh, verses two and three. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock of God. Now, I hope you noticed in those verses that there are, there are these three phrases that Peter uses to kind of explain the, the heart of a shepherd. That he says, number one, 
not under compulsion but willingly. Number two, not for shameful gain but eagerly. And then number three, not domineering but as examples. And I think Peter, what he's doing with these three phrases is he's describing what the heart of a shepherd should be. Namely, he states the motive, the attitude, and the method of a shepherd. I just want to spend a couple moments unpacking each of those three. Let's look first at the motive of a shepherd, verse 2b. Peter says, not under compulsion, but willingly. That the motivation of a shepherd is for you to be more like a volunteer rather than a, a drafted soldier. See, reluctant elders will not be able to stand firm under the the pressure of suffering, under the temptations of this world, under the weight of leadership if they're being forced to stepping into the role or the office of of an elder. But the motive should be willingly, that hearts should be glad. This is something that they should be enjoying as they shepherd the flock of God. But not only that, but look at the attitude. So not just the motive, but the attitude here in uh, in verse 2c. That he says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So the attitude of a shepherd should be eager, enthusiastic, zealous for the the work of God and the shepherding of God's people. That they're not to be motivated by financial gain. That they shouldn't take the office of leadership out of greed or out of something that they're going to get in return whether that is financial or other things that they might get in return for taking this office, whether it's power or influence or prestige or, or having a, a distinction about you within the, the flock of God, but their attitude should be eager, that their motivation should be one that's fueled for the gospel of Jesus Christ and the compassion of his people. And then thirdly, notice the method in verse 3 that Peter says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. I really believe we see the heart of a shepherd come out in their example and in their method of shepherding. Now, the method that Peter is prescribing here is not to oppress the flock with their authority, but to serve the flock by setting an example of how they live and how they are to lead. love how one commentary put it this way. He said, Elders are not to enter ministry so they can boss others around or because their philosophy of ministry is better than others, but so they can exemplify the character of Christ to those under their charge. So we see the the heart of a shepherd, that they are to be examples to the flock with humility and unity and love for one another. Now that's the heart of the shepherd. Let's look lastly here at the inspiration of, of a shepherd, <clears throat> the inspiration. So we've not only seen the case for shepherding, not only seen the way of a shepherd with those four ma- major buckets of knowing, feeding, leading, and protecting, we just saw the, the heart of a shepherd. Now the inspiration in verse 4. Peter says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The you there referring to elders. Now I love, I love Peter as he's writing throughout this letter like, Every exhortation, he supplies inspiration or motivation, and he does so again with elders and in our shepherding. I think he provides inspiration in mainly two ways. That first, he says that the chief shepherd, referring to Jesus, will appear again. This is another great reminder that that elders are under shepherds who serve Jesus' will and rule. 
that the one who ultimately owns the sheep will appear again, and the elders will have to give an account based on how they shepherd. Now, that, that alone gives me enough inspiration and motivation to, to dedicate my life to shepherding well. But then number two, he says that there's this amazing promise of reward that is unique for elders. He says, upon faithful service till the end, there will be this unfading crown of glory. See, Peter himself, he knew how hard this role of shepherding can be, and as a result, supplies this inspiration to press on faithfully. Now, I I almost have to add a third inspiration here. It's not in the text, but I think Peter would agree with this, that just from experience, there there is an incredible amount of joy in shepherding. Like this is really, it's really hard work. It's, it's difficult probably in ways that, that you probably wouldn't even anticipate. But there is so much joy being able to have a front row seat at God's redemptive work and grace in the lives of people that I love. Like it is, it is amazing to see God's word work through his people. And as a shepherd, I get to see that firsthand and have this, this front row seat. And that gives me inspiration. That, that gives me a level of motivation to shepherd well. Now, this morning, admittedly, we've, we've spent all morning just talking about shepherding, talking about what elders are to do, but now I want to kind of turn to some application for you as the congregation. Okay, you're probably thinking, um, okay, this is your job. We don't really need to know this, and I think it's helpful for you, for you to know what elders are to be doing, but also, how should the congregation respond to elders in leadership? I want to share with you just one passage of Scripture that's incredibly sobering for me. <clears throat> Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with growing, groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So two things I want to point out about this verse. Number one, like this, when I talk about the weight of shepherding, it really comes from this verse, that I will have to give an account before God of how I shepherded College Park Fishers. And that really, that provides this level of responsibility for me to commit my life to shepherding well. But the second thing that I see in this verse is that there's also a responsibility for the congregation as it relates to the leaders and the elders, that you are called to obey and to submit to the leaders of the congregation. Now, here are three application points as we close this morning of what that might look like in your life. Number one, first application point is to pray and follow your leaders. And I will say this as boldly as I possibly can say, we need your prayers. Like, I need your prayers. Like, I I love receiving text messages or emails from you saying, hey, praying for you, brother. Hey, you know, praying as you prep for the word or lifting your family up, interceding for you. I just want to encourage you and commend you. You guys do an incredible job of this, that even the North Indy campus, the the level of health at College Park Church is, is incredible. Like, I've been to numerous churches and been on staff, and College Park Church is by far the most healthy church that I've been a part of, even as a mega church. Like, there is this level of health that is unbelievable, that we need to be praising God for. And much of that has to do with your prayers. And so I just want you to know, on behalf of the elders, we need your prayers. We need God's wisdom. We need to be reminded that this is God's flock, not ours. 
We need your prayers for our own uh, personal holiness, our own love for our wives, and our, our pursuit of what it means to, to follow Jesus. So just to commend you, great job on this. Number two, another application point is to protect and to promote unity. Again, the, uh, another uh, amazing job that I feel like the congregation is doing well in, that the Lord has given us just a sweet level of unity. And two years into this, our congregation is still young. But one area that I feel like the enemy would want to get in is this, this area of unity, that the Lord has really protected us from, from different issues. But if the enemy wanted to destroy this congregation, I'm sure he would attack our unity. I'm sure he would go after and, and disrupt things that are going on in our congregation. So I just want to encourage you and exhort you to promote and to protect unity at all costs, to avoid gossip, uh, avoid having unresolved issues, uh, avoid having uh, these lingering questions, but, but to go to the person that you might have a question or an issue with directly, to extend grace, to, to be quick to forgive in order to protect the unity of the church. And then thirdly here, the last application point, more of a question, but what kind of sheep are you? Like we, We've talked a lot about shepherding and what elders are called to do, but as you're thinking about your role as a congregation, what kind of sheep are you today? There are kind of four main categories when I think about this question. Number one, are, are you a healthy sheep? Are you someone who is plugged into a small group, who is a member, who is growing in, in godliness, who's engaged in evangelism and discipleship? Are you, are you a growing and healthy sheep this morning? <clears throat> or number two, are you a weak sheep? And maybe you're going through a season of life that you feel like your strength is just zapped. You feel like that you're going through suffering or, or you feel lonely or you, you feel like there are things going on in your life that you're, you're not living the Christian life at a position of, 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 uh, of being equipped. So are you a weak sheep? Number three, are you a straying sheep where like you might be here, but you're not really here on Sunday, if you know what I mean. Like you're here, but you're not fully engaged, that you're kind of wandering and straying from the word of God or the flock of God, kind of getting tangled up into sin. Are you a straying sheep? And then lastly here, are, are you a lost sheep? Maybe you're here this morning and, and you're not a Christian. And yet maybe you come here every week or maybe you're just a guest here this morning and, and you're a lost sheep, meaning that you're not part of the flock of God because you're not saved. That you haven't, you haven't bent your knee and surrendered to, to King Jesus and given your life and faith to Jesus, trusting him for your salvation. And maybe you're here this morning, not a believer, but you're hearing about how to be cared for, how to be led, how to be fed, and that sounds really attractive to you. Well, I want to challenge you and, and encourage you that in order to come into the flock of God, it's by way of Jesus Christ, the good shepherd. That's the only way that you become a part of the flock of God is by placing your faith upon the work and person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. How incredible is that? That we have this amazing shepherd who died for us to save us and to bring us into the fold of God. So if you're here this morning, you're not a Christian and you want to join the flock of God, just encourage you to, to place your trust and faith upon Jesus and, and become a person who is part of the flock of God. So this morning, no matter where you are uh, in those categories, I just want you to know two things, that you have elders here that love you, 
that are for you, that pray for you. We love getting those prayer requests through the, the covenant member update. And we are, we are here for you. We'd love to care for you in that way. But also, number two, you have a good shepherd. And his name is Jesus, who, who will never leave you, never forsake you. No matter what you are going through, he will shepherd you way better than any of us will. So I just want to encourage you to press into him as, as you enjoy Mother's Day today. So let's pray together. God, we thank you and, and give you praise for the example of Jesus, who is our good shepherd. Lord, we thank you for the way that he loves us, the way that he cares for us. God, we thank you for the way that you, you sought us out when we were that one out of a hundred that were wandering. Lord, we were that, that lost sheep that you brought into the fold of God through, through Jesus. So we give you praise for that, and we pray that you would, you would protect this church God, that you continue to raise up future elders to lead your body well. So would you give us that unity, give us that sense of followership that is so aligned with, with the scriptures. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen.